past few months or so, we've been making our way through the first epistle of the Apostle Peter to the churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. We're going to pick up that series again tonight, working our way through chapter 2, the first half of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So please turn with me there in your pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'd like to read the first 12 verses of this chapter. And let's listen carefully, attentively to God's holy word this evening. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here we end our reading of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've made our way through the first chapter of 1 Peter, we, we've noticed a few themes uh, that have come to the forefront of our attention, very central to uh, Peter's address to the saints. And one of these is that, uh, uh, that God's people, Christians, are a pilgrim people. We are a pilgrim people. We are, uh, we are not at home yet. We are strangers, sojourners on the earth, and that's why Peter addresses the saints as exiles. But he also says that they are the elect. He calls them elect exiles. They are the the special possession of God through Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, we saw Peter urging the saints to understand and embrace this wonderful living hope that they have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have been born again unto a living hope. 
And Peter has said to the saints, we have been exhorted from chapter 1 so far, that, that this means that we ought to respond by living a holy lifestyle. One of the refrains of Peter is that we are to be holy as God is holy. Well, now as we move into chapter 2, you notice we find a lot of Old Testament imagery here, a lot of Old Testament metaphors that instruct us about our character and about our calling as God's pilgrim people. And tonight, I want you to notice three things from our passage. In verses 1 through 3, we, we learn that, that as, as children who have been born again to a living hope, we must grow up in our salvation. We can't remain spiritual infants. We must grow up in our salvation, and we do so by having a spiritual craving for the Word of God. We learn that from verses 1 through 3. Then in the heart of this chapter, verses 4 through 10, we see that God describes all of us as the church as a spiritual house, and inside that house there's a lot of work going on. We are a spiritual house in which we as spiritual priests are called to offer spiritual uh, thanksgiving, spiritual sacrifices to God as His priests. And then finally, we see that as God's special people, we also have a special mission. We have a spiritual mission uh, to serve God and our neighbors and to live in a way that glorifies God so that when He comes again, He will truly be praised through the offering of our lives. Notice with me, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, that we are to have um, a spiritual craving. One of the great um, joyous blessings of chapter 1 that we encountered was this. Peter says to us, you have been born again to new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now he says to them at the beginning of chapter 2, grow up. Don't remain infants in the faith. Don't remain spiritual babies. You must grow up in your salvation. You must learn and grow to exhibit the traits of your new life by the Spirit in your daily living, in your daily conduct. In that respect, uh, Peter's emphasis is very much like Paul's in Colossians. And the first way that Peter uh, calls us to grow up in our salvation is in verse 1, and he does so with a negative command. Notice that. He says to the saints, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter literally says to us, if you're going to grow up in your salvation, you must get undressed. You must take your old clothes off. You must disrobe. Literally, he says here, take off, put away those sinful attitudes and traits that get in the way of your spiritual service to God and to your neighbors. Take off those old garments. Lay them aside, those garments of your old self, and live according to the new self that has been put on in Jesus Christ. And he lists some of these, these old traits that characterize their former way of life. Remember, many of these uh, people to whom Peter writes were pagans. And they lived a life of all kinds of debauchery and sin. And so he says to them, take off and lay down your malice, your desire to, to hurt one another in a spiteful way. 
Take off, uh, lay aside your deceit and your hypocrisy, your desire to trick one another, to appear one way, uh, but in reality you are another. Be honest with one another. Take off, set aside your envy and your slander, your, your insincerity with one another, your double-heartedness, your lying tongue. Take it off. Cast it aside. Cast away those old garments that you once wore when you were conforming to the passions of your former ignorance, things that James says in chapter 3 are earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Peter says if you're going to grow up in your salvation, there must not even be a hint of these former things. Take them off. Throw them into the incinerator. No longer be clothed in your former ignorance and sin. But how do we do that? How do we take these old things off, these old garments off, and cast them aside? How do we put off our old nature and grow up in our salvation? Peter says, by craving spiritual nourishment and cherishing your new life in Christ more and more. If verse 1 is a negative command, verse 2 is a positive one. Peter writes, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Peter says, long for, crave, hunger for pure spiritual milk by which you can grow. What is this spiritual milk? that we must drink if we are to grow up into maturity as believers. Well, it's, it's nothing hard to discern. It's not a mystery. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Look at me at the end of uh, chapter 1 here, which we considered the last time we looked at First Peter, especially verses 23 through 25, but I want to uh, read uh, 22 to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, Peter says, is the good news that was preached to you. You have been born again through the living and abiding word of God we all have as believers. And it's the same word, Peter says, this same spiritual milk that continues to feed us and nourish us as believers so that we grow up into Christian maturity. And we're commanded to crave that word like newborn infants. Uh, there's a number of parents here tonight I see. Uh, many of you have had or even right now have newborns. And in your experience, uh, you know that newborns vocally and ardently express their desire to be fed regularly. Regularly. Newborn babies act as if their entire life depends on their next feeding, don't they? And that's how it should be for us. 
That's how ardently we should crave the Word. That's how deeply and actively we should feed upon it as the pure spiritual milk that that fuels, that feeds our spiritual growth as Christians. And brothers and sisters, that's why the elders of our church call you to worship twice a Sunday. That's why they encourage you to to find a Bible study to join. That's why they urge you to be faithful, devoted in family devotions. That's why they offer family conferences throughout the year. It's not to burden you. It's not to burden you with extra biblical commandments. Uh, It's not to put, put a limit on your fun or your leisure time or your freedom. That's not the reason. It's because a nibble is not enough. A nibble is not enough. None of us go to our favorite buffet and say, oh, I just love this place. Best buffet in town. And then we leave a few hours later having just had a few morsels on our plate. No, we come craving. We come desiring the full array of delicious options available. We we come excited. We come salivating because we are so eager to, to enjoy all of the foods available to us. Well, in the same way, We cannot say, I love the Lord, I'm seeking Him, I want to follow His will, but content ourselves with as little of His Word as possible. Content ourselves with as little of the fellowship of His beloved saints as possible. It doesn't work. A nibble is not enough. We ought to crave God's Word as if our lives depend upon it. And guess what? They do. They do. And we will remain, surely remain, spiritual infants, spiritual babies, unless the pure and faithful preaching of the Word saturates our lives. Only then will we truly grow up in our salvation. So I ask you tonight, do you love the Lord? Do you seek the Lord? then come eagerly to sit under faithful preaching because that's what God has provided to help you grow up in your salvation. But there's one more reason here that Peter gives us to to crave the Word. He says in verse 3, after saying these things, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, now Peter is not here saying, I'm not sure whether you've tasted whether the Lord is good or not. I'm just putting this out there as a possibility. No. He's saying this is a reality. Perhaps it's better to translate this as, because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, um, you should crave this spiritual milk. And indeed, we all have as believers. We can all say, like David, the psalmist in Psalm 34, when he says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my foes. This is what the Lord has done for me. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. We can all say with David, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. We can all rejoice that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. We can all say to one another, O taste and see that the Lord is good. 
He's faithful. He's faithful to those who fear him, and he delivers them. We've all tasted the bountiful goodness of of God in our lives, His, his caring providence to meet our physical and spiritual needs. Even the trials that he has sent into our lives, we look back and we see that he was not absent from us for even a moment, but he was using it all to show us his glory, to show us his grand plan for us in Jesus Christ, to to conform us to the image of his Son. The Lord has been good to us, and we have tasted that, we have seen that, and for that reason alone, out of gratitude and faith that God will continue to be our almighty Father and God for Christ's sake. For that reason alone, we should crave the Word more and more. You see, a nibble is not enough for those who have feasted at the table of the Lord's goodness. And so we ought to have this spiritual craving as believers. But we see also that part of our growing up in salvation is being mindful of our status before God uh, in the world. And Peter, uh, in verse 9, pictures us in some very wonderful, uh, blessed terms. He calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it's this status that describes how we are to come, verse 4, Come to Him, Jesus Christ, in our daily personal relationship with Him. As I said in the introduction, there's a lot of Old Testament imagery here uh, in these verses, especially verse 5. Verse 5 describes us in several ways, describes us as living stones being built up into a spiritual house. This verse also describes our office and our task as Christians. We are called a holy priesthood. And we have a job, the job of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Again, Peter is describing our vocation as Christians. God is building us up as a spiritual house in which we as priests offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Let's break this apart for just a moment. Um, We're called here living stones being built up as a spiritual house or a temple. Now, children, How many of you have ever seen a stone breathe? I'm guessing none of you have. Because a stone is not a living thing, is it? And yet Peter says here that we are living stones that God has added to the walls of his spiritual house, which is the church. And by describing us in this beautiful way, we're reminded of the fact that we have life. We have redemption. We have full salvation through Jesus Christ alone, who is the most important living stone of this house. He is, Peter says, the cornerstone. He's the foundation upon which God's temple, this spiritual house, is being built. He says in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Because of God's sovereign, gracious choice, we have been chosen as His own possession, as the building blocks of this house that God is building upon Jesus Christ, His Son. And what a a blessed, honorable, 
gift that we have been given to be made by God's grace alone, made members of this house. And that's what uh, Peter remarks about here in verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were outside of the family, you were outcasts, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, you lived under judgment in enmity with God, but now you have received mercy. By the grace of God, we have been added to this spiritual house of the Lord, and what an honor and a blessed privilege that is to be part of this spiritual house that is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets' testimony about Jesus Christ. What a blessing to, to have this identity, to belong to this family, especially when so many stumble over the message of Jesus Christ and refuse to come. Verse 4 reminds us that Jesus is the living stone rejected by men. And in verse 7, we read that while it is an honor for us who believe to belong to this house, for those who do not believe, Jesus Christ, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the, the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, Peter says, because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. I'm reminded of a very beautiful hymn, thankfully is included in the new Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 425, how sweet and awesome is the place. And it recounts how awesome it is to belong to the, the spiritual family of God, especially in light of the fact that so many refuse to come and enjoy the feast that we all enjoy. Let me just read a few stanzas here. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear Your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Do not lose sight of the privilege of being made a living member of Christ's church. And don't neglect either the blessings or the duties, the responsibilities of belonging to it. But Peter also describes us as a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. We read that inside this house, the church, uh, there's a lot going on. It's a very busy house. What's happening in it? Well, a spiritual priesthood is offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, I think our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, really helps us understand what that means to be priests. Uh, that uh, Lord's Day teaches us that we are called Christians. We bear Christ's name because we've been united to Jesus Christ and we share in His anointing and in His priestly tasks. Well, what kinds of spiritual tasks or what kind of spiritual sacrifices should we be offering? 
The New Testament's very clear about that. Look with me at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'd like to read the first two verses there. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says we offer ourselves to the Lord in praise to Him as a sacrifice of thanksgiving, offering our bodies not to sin, but to worship, to the glory of God, to the praise of His name. We, we worship Him. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice by striving with good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. That's one way we offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice. Turn with me next to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Philippians 2, 14 to 18. Again, Paul says to the church, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, I rejoice alongside of you as you, as you pour yourself out in joyful service to God, not in, not in passive waiting for others to serve, but to generously give of our gifts and offerings to the Lord and to His cause. That's how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Turn just a few pages over to chapter 4 in Philippians. Here Paul is giving thanks to the, the Philippians for their, their kind support of his ministry, of the preaching of the gospel. And he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. We offer ourselves, we offer our resources, we offer our prayers as a living spiritual sacrifice to the Lord as we give of our gifts and offerings to support the work of the gospel going to the corners of the earth. This is another way that we are priests in God's spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices. One last passage, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, beginning at verse 15. We, uh, the, the writer says, Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. How do we offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord? By praising Him, by acknowledging Him as the God of heaven and earth, by offering our, our, our thankful obedience to Him, by sharing our gifts with others. In short, by what Peter says in verse 9 of our passage in chapter 2, by proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness 
into His marvelous light. That is how we serve as priests offering spiritual sacrifices within this spiritual house of Christ's church. In short, the sacrifices we are to offer are the direct opposite of the things Peter called us to cast away in verse 1. Instead of malice, instead of jealousy, instead of slander and hypocrisy, we are to offer God praise and gratitude and, and mercy towards others. These are the, the pleasing spiritual sacrifices that we are to offer to God and to one another as God's spiritual house. But finally and very briefly, uh, Peter concludes this section by reminding the saints, by reminding us that we are sojourners and exiles on the earth. They are aliens. They are foreigners. Well, there goes my cell phone. That's embarrassing. They are aliens, he says, foreigners, out-of-towners. But notice, we might think that Peter would go on to say, and therefore, don't engage the world. But that's not what he does. Notice that Peter does not exhort them to separate themselves from the world. He explains our obligations to our neighbors, the obligations that result from being built up as God's spiritual house. As God's spiritual house, characterized by our spiritual craving for God's Word, we also have a spiritual mission to the world. And I think we see that in two ways in the remaining verses of this chapter. Verse 11, we are called to abstinence evangelism. Abstinence evangelism. Look what he says here in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You must remember, brothers and sisters, that, that because God's love has restored us to Him, Christians are no longer at home in this world because this world exists in enmity with God. That's why Peter calls us exiles. And the more we walk in communion with God, the more we fulfill our priestly office and proclaim His excellencies before a watching world, the more we do that, the more we will appear as strangers in our communities. And Peter himself will write later in this, in this uh, letter in, in chapter 4, he says, unbelievers are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But it's our abstinence from sinful passions and desires that stands at the heart of our evangelistic mission to the world. Because when we abstain from the sinful passions of the flesh, we show our neighbors what is good and what is holy and what is Christ-like. When we fight the good fight of hating and forsaking sin and the practices that lead to sin and death, we show our neighbors what is good and holy and Christ-like. And we do that by being scripturally aware. We do that by knowing the will of God as He has revealed it to us in His Word. Our good fight against sin is another reason why we need to be saturated by Scripture so that guided by God's Word and Spirit, we can intentionally avoid, abstain from activities and situations that nurture our sin 
rather than our growth in holiness. And so our prayer should be like David in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. We fulfill our spiritual mission to the world by abstaining from the sinful practices. But there's more than that. Our spiritual mission to the world has two parts. Certainly, rooting out sin in our own lives, but also cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. You see, a healthy Christian life, a successful mission to the world, will not flourish if we simply abstain from the passions of the flesh. We also need to pursue filling our hearts and our lives with what is excellent, with what is holy. Look at verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we work, as we labor day to day at our place of business, as we engage in commerce in the public square, as we, uh, as we vacation, relax, enjoy time away as families, we are to be characterized by honorable conduct, by conduct that is excellent and, and beautiful and loving and caring, demonstrating the love of Christ to our neighbors. Why is that so important? So that our community, which still lives in enmity with God, our community which is still dwelling in the darkness of sin and despises the light, our community will still see in its midst the beauty of holiness radiating from our lives. They will see sinners growing in goodness and righteousness by God's grace. They will see sinners growing in obedience in what is good and what is lovely and what is praiseworthy so that one day when Christ returns, they will glorify God either by coming through to a saving faith through our witness or through God's vindication of His church on the day of judgment. And so, brothers and sisters, let us prayerfully consider how we might grow up in our salvation, grow into maturity as, as God's own possession, as His royal priesthood. Let us not grow weary in pursuing a closer walk with God. Let us not grow weary in desiring more and more to commune with Him through His Word, but rather let us delight more and more in prayer in the preaching of the Word, and the worship of His people. Let us ask God fervently for the strength to offer our bodies as holy sacrifices of praise and worship so that the Spirit of God may give us wisdom and strength to, to change the things in our lives that foster sin rather than growth in godliness so that our neighbors may be won over for Jesus Christ, that God may be glorified now and on the day of His visitation. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this call. In Your Word that we are to grow up, grow into maturity in our salvation uh, as Your special possession, your, your royal priesthood. Oh, Father, we are so prone to be inactive and, and, and rather lazy, weary in our pursuit of holiness and godliness and 
maturity. We are often so slow to make use of the means that you have given to us to grow. Lord, we pray that you would give us a greater craving for your word, for the means of grace, for the fellowship of the saints, all of these wonderful blessings that you use by your Holy Spirit to help us grow up in our salvation. But Lord, help us to be motivated to grow also by the wonderful status that we have as your people, as your prized possession. Help us to be amazed by your wonderful grace that you have, uh, by your kindness, demonstrated in Jesus Christ, you have brought us as living stones into your spiritual house, your spiritual family. And you've given us the wonderful task of, of offering our bodies and our minds and our, our gifts and our labors as a spiritual sacrifice of praise to you and of service to others. Help us to fulfill that priestly role uh, with thanksgiving, faithfully, joyfully, ceaselessly. And Father, we pray too that you would help us to look beyond our ranks to the world, which is living in sin and darkness and needs the light of, of our abstinence, of showing what is evil and abstaining from it, radiating the light of the kingdom of Christ, but also in our active obedience, in our excellent and beautiful and godly conduct. Lord, may it be that they cannot help but glorify You as they observe our lives. Father, bless us as we leave this place, as we go to serve You in the world this week. May we recognize that whatever task You've given to us, we may use it as an opportunity to serve and glorify You as we await, as we pray for, as we long for the day of Your visitation. We pray this in the name of Christ the power of your spirit. Amen.